We are sponsored by Raise Energy, powered by the enhanced refresh technology. Raise Energy delivers with a performance-enhancing energy drink that aids in the most often overlooked categories. Raise Energy targets focus, enhances your recovery time, improves clean energy levels, and boosts your stamina and hydration. Most importantly, each single can of Raise Energy has absolutely zero calories, zero sugar, and zero carbohydrates, which that gives you a smarter and more healthier option. You should not have to settle for an energy drink that contains more sugar and carbs than you can count. Opt for the number one fan-voted energy drink on the market today with Raise Energy. If you want to get yourself a can of Raise Energy, go to repsports.com, R-E-P-P, sports.com. Use my promo code HPP1000, HPP1000 at checkout, and you will receive a generous discount. Pods podcast. I'm your host as always, Dylan Hodge. But you guys already know that. Hit me up on Instagram and over on the Twitter. I am Mr. Dylan Hodge. You can follow the podcast over on Instagram if you want to at the Hodgepodge Podcast. Thanks for clicking on this episode. Thanks for streaming it. It really means a lot to me. We've got a um a very special guest today on the podcast. So if you guys remember, I did a podcast probably close to a month ago, maybe a little over a month. And it was called Famous Interviews in Smooth Jazz with Joe Domino. And I decided to have Joe Domino on the podcast today to to kind of talk about that. We also talk about how podcasting is a rare form of therapy, how famous is too famous. We get into chattingness about the craziness of Michael Jackson and Elvis and other celebrities' fame that were just so crazily famous. Like you couldn't walk down the street type of famous um he talks about finding different techniques and the perfect niche for podcast conversations we talk about our first concerts we've ever been to and joe chats an amazing story about seeing michael jackson live in concert michael jackson and jackson five it's crazy all that and more right here right now on the hodgepodge podcast getting right into this without any type of um distraction or any type of 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 chattiness from me that you usually get every week but here we go joe domino on the hodgepodge podcast dylan what's up what's up joe how you doing man so before we begin i just want you to understand and you'll appreciate this i brought you to my place of zen and there's a bunch of ducks here right now this is our local lake and uh they're just hanging out here. So, what's up, man? What's going on, dude? Thanks, thanks for uh, thank, oh. th- thanks for jumping on. Oh, dude, thank you for asking me. It's wonderful. Yeah, man, I, I had to return the favor because nobody ever asked me to be on their show <laughs> in five years. I'm the third show. There, your your show was my third uh, interview that I've done, and it's not that I don't want to do them. Because I want to promote my th- my stuff as much right. as the next person. It's just nobody ever asked me. So it's like, whatever. 
Well, you know, the interesting thing about this, and, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is, you know, I, I come from a jazz background, jazz radio. So I was approached from uh, Alex at Podmatch to ask me to do this. And as I started getting into it, there's so many wonderful people out there doing great things. I mean, just with your story, with you, you know, coming out of high school and you have this desire to interview and, and hone your craft and you're doing it. It's wonderful, dude. I mean, and, and there's so many things that are therapeutic about this process of, of doing podcasting and all of us like understanding. And we talk about this level of divisiveness that happens. And I think if we could all just talk to each other, and understand who we are and how common we are, I think it would help tremendously. You know, and, th and I think that's the, and I think that's the main goal that everybody wants to do because everybody wants to be famous, right? You want to have money, you want to be known everywhere, but it's like, there's more to it than that. You know what I mean? It's like, sure, yeah. you may want to be, but are you really, if you are going to be that, are you really going to get the, the, the positive story about it? Or are you just going to do, you know, like Joe Rogan, like he Sure, he was famous before, but now you look at him and this guy is, he can't get on a plane. He has to take a jet everywhere he goes. And it's like, do you really uh -huh. want that though? <laughs> right, right. And we hear all the stories of celebrity all the time where they have to duck and run. I mean, um, I think I've even heard stories of Chris Martin from Coldplay's. Like he just gets to a point where he just can't stand the fact that that's his life. And there was a lot of people like that. I mean, we see extreme examples so there is that level of you that want, and, and I remember your answer when I, one of my final questions to you about your life was you just want to be financially soluble so you don't have to worry about money. But at the same time, you want to be able to go into a Target or a grocery store without having people with cameras following you and everybody wanting an autograph or something like that. that ha I mean, as much as for a regular person, that seems like, wow, that would be kind of fun. If you do that all the time and that's all that you have to deal with, it, it has to be fatiguing. You know, man, we mentioned that, and I am reading. Uh, I got it right here. I'm trying to see who wrote it. It's by Bill Whitfield and Jafon Beard, and they were Michael Jackson's personal security for the final two and a half years of his life. And their book wow. is basically their time doing it, and it's absolutely crazy to think that people are like i want to be as famous as michael jackson no you may want to have michael jackson's money but let me tell you something <laughs> you don't want to be as famous as michael jackson this guy is famous no. as he was and this will show you and the whole world that money doesn't make everything right doesn't make it happy it takes your worries away because you don't have to worry about it but this guy could not go anywhere like literally anywhere yep. it was I think he yep. may be the last person that we've seen that happen to. Like, you know, because can you name somebody else now that has to have security? And if they walk through a mall, thousands of people just come in and, and, and just berate them. I don't think I've seen that since Michael Jackson's passed away. Yeah, it's, yeah, for as, for as active as he was, yeah, I haven't seen that. I have heard stories about what he would have to do to get into some kind of like costume or mask or something. I mean, I remember he was one of the first ones that wore a mask back when he would, back in the day, you know, and we were all like, what's he doing? And I don't know if he was in Asia because that's more of their culture, mm. but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'd really have to think hard about that, but yeah, that would have to have just, he was already teetering on a mental edge 
So to be able to not be regular, which is the reason why he was childlike. He got stuck in an era that he never got to live, which was being a child. So because of that, it just made it worse and worse because he couldn't actually be free like a child and do any of that. So it probably just made him crazier than he already was. Yeah, man. And then also, yeah, you mentioned his the mask thing. It was but they were talking about how he tried so many different techniques to get in. Like he tried so many, but he just walked a certain way. He did something a certain way and people are like, oh shit, that's Michael Jackson. So they knew automatically, uh-huh. even with the designs or the, 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 the hiding that it was, it was him. So it was, it was a no go either way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I always bring this story up because I'll ask musicians, what was your first concert? And we can get into it with you here. Sure. But one of my very first memories of a concert, my dad was a car salesman and he won tickets in 1984 to Arrowhead Stadium for the victory tour with him and his wow. brothers. Yeah. And I remember we were all sitting there waiting. And this was when he had the glove and it was the beginning of that. So we're all sitting there. We'd see cars backstage, but he didn't come out. I mean, I think it was like an hour and a half late. And when he finally came up, he comes up in a hole out of the ground. Every light around is shining on him. And that glove comes up. And I swear it was like a Beatles show. Girls were fainting. It was like a 747 flew over the place. So even then, at the height of his powers, there was a level of Beatlemania that was off the charts about him, you know? So it was wild. And we first saw it with Elvis. We saw he was, Elvis was the first superstar. But I don't, I'll tell you this, I think Michael Jackson may have been more famous than Elvis Presley, just because it was present day. I mean, but it's, yeah, it was, he, he, he hated his, I don't know if he hated him. He had a brawl with his brothers because he left them the Jackson five and just became a bigger than they are. They it the Jackson family. I realized after reading this and you know, cause once I read something and I get my mind on it, I watch and read everything else because I want to know everybody. I want to watch everybody's perspective, see it. And after watching multiple documentaries, I realized that the Jackson family was what killed Michael Jackson in the end. It may have been the drugs. It may have been the drugs. It may have been over exhaustion, but I think the stress the mentality and the Jackson family themselves killed Michael Jackson in the end. Whether you believe he's dead or not, I I don't care. I don't care whether you believe he's dead or not, but I'm going off. They killed him. I mean, they, they had, it was just, there was no way I could have lived with myself after just, just, just what he went through watching the stuff, reading this stuff. It was just, I mean, it's no, no human being should have to live like that the way he did. And it was crazy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, and and his his dad was the biggest one in that whole group that was just sinister. Yeah. There was so many stories about what he did. I mean, his whole goal with them, from what I remember, was he was not going to stop until they became famous. And he used those kids as pawns in a game that he was playing. And uh, that's why Michael Jackson was locked in childhood. He got it taken away. So that's all he wanted. That's why he had Neverland and everything that came. And there's a part of me that feels bad. I know all of the lawsuits and everything that he did. And I've heard people say how weird they felt around him, but there was a level of him that you look at it. You think like, who was the real victim? Like, you know, it doesn't make it right, but like he was the initial guy. I mean, you know, you look up to your parents for safety and, 
and and to be protected. And he wasn't protected. None of those kids were protected. You know, you know. I, so. you, mentioned, you mentioned the lawsuits. I know a guy. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I know a guy that knew Michael Jackson personally for a few years, and he was saying that. As weird as people thought Michael Jackson was, it wasn't that he was weird. It was just, it's it's strange to see a 40-year-old man as a 13-year-old kid because he didn't get to live out his yeah. teenage years. He was 8, 9 when they got famous, and it just, but I mean, he was... He was in the he was in the same room where his brothers were having sex, and he had to grow up and realize what that was at eight nine years old. You know, it was. Yeah. He he just got to saying that just because it was weird, then you got to once you got to actually know him, you realize there's no way this guy could have would have touched a kid the way they said it was, and then you realize how much money the family's made, and then it just starts circulating, and you start making thoughts, and you're like, you know, maybe the media. Maybe they are making this guy out to look worse just because two people said it, three people said it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. It's funny that you mention that because, you know, we're just civilians and you get tidbits from people. So you 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 got an inside scoop. And how many other people do you think have inside scoops that know the truth? Like I remember years ago, probably in the late 90s, here in Kansas City, good friends of mine were in a band called the Daybirds, and they were on the edge of making it really, really big. And before that happened, they went to uh, L.A., and they had stories about celebrities. And one of the stories they told me, this was way back when, they said that with Kevin Spacey, there was a rumor in Hollywood that you do not go into a bathroom with him. Right. Okay? This right. is just regular old Joe. My friends hear this. So how many people, and I think about how with celebrity, how many of those stories come out, they are protected, but how many of us know the real truth? And I knew years ago with him, like unequivocally when they told me that, like there was nothing in me that questioned it. So it's, it's wild, man, how all those things get started and what we actually do know when we're not supposed to know it, you know? Yeah. And then you're like, there's like, there's all these, uh, you know, music conspiracy theories. And some of them I don't believe. Some of them it's like, come on, man. You really you really think all this. But then you're like, wow, maybe, maybe stuff could happen, you know. But, uh, man, diving away from that, you mentioned first concerts. What's the first concert you ever went to, you ever attended? You mentioned it was Michael Jackson, right? Is that what you said? Well, it was one of the first ones. But the very first one, there was a place here in Kansas City that people would know about really well. It's Memorial Hall. It's it was a hallowed place where all the guys came, all the all the bands and guys and gals, I should say. And the first real show I remember, it was either one or two shows. It was Kiss Animalized when they came without makeup. Wow. And yeah, dude, I remember Paul Stanley had that <clears throat> mic stand full of bras and he's yelling at the girls, you know, lift your shirt. I mean, this was in the feral days of rock and roll when, you know, you could they they just went crazy. But there wasn't the theatrics. It was more toned down. But the other show that was probably right around that time, I think that was number one, but a close two was I saw, and I don't know why my parents let me do this, dude, but I, it was 1986. I saw Motley Crue's Theater of Pain at Kemper Arena. Wow. And people were lighting bottle rockets off. And I remember Nikki Six like tripping the stage guy and everybody going crazy, bottles of Jack, throwing things out in the crowd. It was, it was mayhem in a way that I've never seen at a show. You know, coming full circle, 
I saw last year. I saw Kiss on their final tour last year. They wow. Come, they come to Biloxi at the Coliseum. And, man, let me tell you, those being it, – it's a toss-up between Aerosmith and Kiss of what which one of them are my favorite bands of all time. Uh, yeah. But Kiss, when, just to see them, you know what I mean? I wasn't alive when their music was – 70s 80s i was born in 98 so you just see the but i think when i was watching them a spark happened in my mind where i was like holy crap these guys are something special like in their concert their concerts one of a kind and i cried during a concert like i was like this yeah this is amazing i can't believe what's happening there's paul there Look, Gene's over there breathing fire. Paul's flying in the air. Yep. And I'm like, this this is crazy. But what what's cool about Kiss is, you know, I am one of those people, and you're going to find this funny, Joe, I think. I watch concerts on YouTube before I go to a concert, so I know what yeah. to expect at what times. So I'm not surprised, so I can have my phone camera yeah. ready. And I yeah. realized through doing that and seeing them live, I realized that they have this stage presence about them. They have a script that all says the same thing to Gene. Gene says the same thing to Tommy Thayer. It's absolutely crazy how they do it, but I think it's also perfect how they do it because it's so different. I know the Eagles do it. I know a lot of other, the Beatles did it back in the day, but I think when you're seeing this and you're like, wow, this is a play. They're doing a, a, a musical it's 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 amazing. Like it was amazing watching it and just seeing it. It is. I did actually years ago when I was in my twenties. I had a guy I worked with that kind of impromptu had really good tickets in Topeka, and I went and saw them live and got down there. It was so loud I had to put earplugs in, and we were Dang. right there beneath the boot of Gene, and he got lifted up and all the fire and everything. Yeah, dude, that what they do live and how they pull it off and the fact they pulled it off for that long is amazing. But I remember when I was a kid, I used to get the cards and I have friends that collected the dolls. I mean, they were like the precursor to star Wars merchandising. They were like, and that's the reason why Gene is such a good businessman. He has totally maximized the kiss industry in a way. I remember he was on Conan O'Brien years ago and they had a coffin. And he was like, you can buy this and fill it with ice and use it as a beer cooler before you kick the bucket. <laughs> that was his marketing acumen. And, and he was serious, you know, and they pulled it out. And it was they are great at more. They're, they're, they're a marketing gods. If you look at it that way, there's like everything they have is marketed copyright. Like I know Gene, Gene Simmons owns the word motion picture. So every time motion picture is used in any type of font, any books, any movies. Gene Simmons is getting a cut of that because he owns the words motion. No way. It's 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 crazy. They own That's so, crazy. So I thought about and I looked into it and it's a lot of money. So I got the Hodgepodge uh-huh. podcast. I thought about copywriting the word Hodgepodge cuz how is that's not used in everyday word. That's used every single day from from a lot of people. Uh-huh. And it's totally. like, and it was like I mean we're talking six, seven, eight digits for the word hotspot. And I was like, I, I, I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Until you make it big, dude. Until you get to that paparazzi point. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably not. So, dude, so. when uh, 
your podcast, Famous Interviews and Neon Jazz with Joe Domino. When did that come about? How and when? You know, Dano seasoning is changing the world one table at a time by offering the best all-natural low-sodium seasoning products on the market. Dano's goals are to provide you with real flavors to make healthier food choices without ever having to sacrifice the real taste. Dano's includes low sodium, which is only 50 milligrams per serving. It has all natural unrefined sea salt. There's no sugar, no MSG, no chemicals, and it's completely gluten-free. Also, there's 100% natural ingredients. Dano's seasoning is the most versatile seasoning on the market. Grill, smoke, bake, create soups, sauces, marinades. You can also sprinkle Danos on your eggs, your potatoes, maybe some pizza, maybe some pasta, and even while you're watching a movie, sprinkle some Danos on popcorn. Heck, if you're crazy, why don't you put some Danos on ice cream? Any food that exists, you can put some Danos on it. Go to danosseasoning.com, use my promo code HodgePodge, capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. Guys, remember to do that. Um, just like the spelling of the podcast, a capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. You can try all three flavors, which include original, spicy, and hot chipotle right now today. It's damn good. Yum, yum. Get you some. Gene Simmons is getting a cut of that because he owns the words most. No way. It's... It's it's crazy. They own that's so, crazy. So I thought about and I looked into it. And it's a lot of money. So I got the Hodgepodge uh-huh. podcast. I thought about copywriting the word Hodgepodge because how is that's not used in everyday word. That's used every single day from from a lot of people. Uh-huh. And it's totally. Like, and it was like I mean, we're talking six, seven, eight digits for the word Hodgepodge, and I was like, and I I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Until you make it big, dude. Until you get to that paparazzi point. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably not. So, dude, so. when uh, your podcast, Famous Interviews and Neon Jazz with Joe Domino, when did that come about? How and when? Well, I was a journalist in college back in 93, and I was a sports journalist and thought I was going to be on the set at ESPN. I was going to be up there with Keith Olbermann and all those guys back in the day. And long story short, it, it, it didn't happen. I got into the sports broadcast industry, and I just it just was something that I, I wasn't into. Um, I, I didn't want to chase the... I didn't want to chase the, the interviews and everything in that world. I covered the Royals in 93 and the Royals had a long stretch of not being good. And I, you know, I was a intern and I went in the locker room and I did all that. I saw that world and I did production work for radio and I just completely got out. I started doing other things. And about 2011, I, I bought an old raccoon, the Radio Shack raccoon with the radio in its belly from a thrift store and went home and turned it on. And there was a show called The Neon Bee. And it was the American Songbook. It was hosted by John Christopher, Elvis, Rat Pack, all those cats were on it. So I'm like, wow, you know, I've always loved radio and been into it. And I, I just was like, I reached out to this guy. And his name's John Christopher, wonderful, wonderful human, one of my best friends ever. He engineers my show, Neon Jazz. He invited me over to his house and serendipity happened. He was about four blocks away from me. And he's a radio engineer by day in Kansas City. So he would get all of the old radio equipment from these studios. And he set up a full-on studio in his garage and basically said, Joe, come on over, bring a script. Because I wrote an article on him. 
And as a follow-up, he said, come on over, bring a script over. And if you have a history in radio, let's do it. So I picked jazz and I went in there and we started it. And I told him my promise to him was this. And to me doing this show, I will not learn about jazz from the history books. I am going to honor the musicians and the history of it by having them tell the story. And I will interview all these guys. And it just started from there. And I, I started interviewing musicians. And then from there, I was working for an outfit called Current TV. And I started interviewing bigger people. I interviewed Rudy from the movie Rudy, um, which I I actually got my time zones mixed up and woke him up at four o'clock in Vegas. And he's like, who the hell is this? But he was so cool with me, dude. He was Rudy from the movie. He was gracious. He was wonderful. And that's what you realize when you talk to these people. Yeah. So anyway, I just kind of built steam and just started talking to different people. And then as of most recently, within the last oh, four or five months, I started branching out and talking to, to you and other people. And uh, it's just kind of become a, a bigger thing. But that's how it all kind of started. You know, I wonder if you can relate to this because I see this all the time, you know, with you just starting to interview, you know, independent artists. I've been doing that since somewhat of the beginning. And you realize once you get bigger people on, how more professional the bigger people are versus the independent people. Like the independents, they'll be yeah. 40, they'll, they'll be 30 minutes late and not call, but the professionals, they'll be 20 minutes early and be like, hey man, look, I've cleared out for two and, two and a half hours. You can talk as much as you want to in the independents, but they're like, you got 30 minutes and I'm counting down. And you're like, then yeah. you start to see the, the dark side of fame. Like when they're starting to get noticed, yeah. what happens? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember when David Bowie passed, he, um, he had a cat that was on his album saxophone player. And I interviewed him right after that. And he was getting, he was kind of in a whirlwind. He was really, man, I, I don't know why his name's escaping me right now, but David Bowie picked him, like went to a club in New York and found him and he was on his final album. And I remember he was in a whirlwind, but he was so gracious and so humble and so thankful for every morsel of that. And I think that's the thing that I notice about jazz and the world of jazz. These people, and I don't know if people understand that, the jazz community is one of the most humble, talented, wondrous, grounded group of people I've ever talked to in my life. And I'm talking from Sonny Rollins all the way down. So I've never felt that. I, I just, I, I mean, I know sometimes people are on a time crunch and I'll, and they'll tell me we have 15 minutes, we got to do it. And they're on a, a, a schedule, but overall, even with Sonny, Sonny was so cool, man. I mean, I asked him at one point, I was like, what is it like to be famous? And he was like, am I? <laughs> and it's just like, I'm laughing. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You're, you're the most famous jazz musician, not only alive, but in the annals of the history of this art form, you're you're up there with the Mount Rushmore of all of them. And he was so humble and grounded. So yeah, but it is. But you're right. There there have been some that I've talked to, and it they just get to that point where it it, it gets to be a pretty big enchilada for them. You know. You know, I was watching the Kenny G documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I think it's on HBO Max. Yeah, friends told me about that, dude. That thing is crazy. I didn't see. I'm not the biggest. I have to watch it. I'm not the biggest jazz buff. I'm not. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, but Kenny G. Totally. You you know Kenny G's tunes when you hear them. You know them as soon as oh, you dude. hear them. Like that's Kenny G. That, that's what, it. But what was nuts is he, I think he was talking about one time where 
I, I, the name is escaping me of the song, but it says biggest song that's played on all the movies, all the shows. The people, like like always, the studio was like, that's we're not putting that out. That's that's not gonna happen. And he goes, okay. So he goes to a late show, yeah. goes to a late show, and like a like a Jimmy Kimmel, those types of late shows, goes there. And instead of playing the song he was supposed to play, he outdoes them, goes behind their backs, and plays that song, and it blew up. And Kenny G was Kenny uh-huh. G the next day. Like, it was, I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. You're like, dang, that guy. But you see, that every every time he does a show, he meets people afterwards. He gives them autographs, takes photographs. The guy realizes where his lane is, and it's, it's amazing to see. Because Kenny G is, like, freaking famous. Yeah. Oh, dude, are you? He is the like. As much as people don't like smooth jazz, and I don't, I don't subscribe to it. He is totally a cool cat, and a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, actually the godfather of my son, Miles. Um, he told me about it. Said that in China they would pipe that song. I think you're talking about through a loudspeaker as motivation for the people. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and. I just saw the other day, because I follow a lot of jazz musicians on my Neon Jazz Instagram feed, somebody ran into him at the Newark airport in Jersey, and they were just, he just took a picture with them. Kenny was just acting like he just had a cheeseburger, and he was just a regular guy, just trying to find his flight, and it was kind of cool, and I, I, I sensed that, but I do need to see that, because I love documentaries, and that kind of thing is, is right up my alley, for sure. Yeah, man. So you, you you mentioned your son Miles. You mentioned it on the podcast with me. Uh, you named it after Miles Davis, one of the greatest jazz musicians and guitar players of, of all time. And you know, I think that's cool because, and the question is coming here in a minute. I was always like, man, I want to name. You know, if I ever, I don't feel I'm worthy enough to have a kid, but if I ever had a kid, I'd want to name it like Mayor or like something after John Mayer, something after my favorite musicians. And I was talking to my sister one day and I was like, man, Lennon is such a cool name, named after John Lennon, one of the greatest. And she actually named her daughter Lennon, trying to stole it out from under me. <laughs> but I want to know, Miles, named after Miles Davis, was, what was your wife's thought about naming it after a musician? You know, at the time, it was kind of one of those things where I'm kind of moving here because we got to a choppy okay. area there. Okay. Um, you know, at, at the time, I think I was just putting names out there. And this was before my radio show or anything. And it just made sense. And one of my motivators behind it, why it became a thing was I, I had Miles. It was he was my first child in my thirties. So I waited many miles. So there was kind of a dual meaning. Uh-huh. So all of it made sense. I mean, one of it was, you know, paying homage to one of the biggest names in jazz, which miles Davis kind of blue was the first jazz album that I ever listened to. So there was that, but it was also kind of a metaphor for waiting for a long time. So it just made sense. It just all kind of came together. You know, when, when I think of miles Davis, I think about you ever watched the movie Billy Madison back in the nineties with Adam? Oh Sandler, yeah, yeah, classic. Where, yeah, where she goes, if pissing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> I always yeah. consider Miles Davis <laughs> totally. to Billy Madison. <laughs> but uh, absolutely, 
Man, as we kind of wind down here, Absolutely. we're going on about uh, half an hour here. I want to know uh, a few things about you. Like, you, you did this thing with me where you're asking me these random questions, and I got some for you, man. What is the last sure. book you've ever read? Uh, the last full book, and I'm almost done with it. I have this thing, this habit of mine. I have a pool in the backyard. I've had a pool because of the kids for like the last 12 years of my life. And I got into this habit where I would go to Dollar Tree and find the dollar books. And there's really good ones there. Okay. So I, I really wanted to get one that was kind of, you know, something that I wouldn't have to focus too hard on. I could get wet. I'd enjoy it. And it's a book called The Star Shepherd. And I'm almost done with it. And it's about this kid and his dad that like lived in this like kind of make-believe world. I mean, it's rooted in reality, but they save stars that fall down out of the sky and they get them back up into the sky. And the metaphor is, is that all of the stars are the map to our future and they're going to lead us to where we need to go. So if we lose stars, we lose a part of who we are. And it turns up into this epic battle where these pe there's people that are actually cutting the stars down and trying to snuff out the light. And one of the guys lives forever and wants to put his heart in one of the stars and send it back up. It's kind of a really cool young audience thing, but that's it. It's called The Star Shepherd. It's pretty cool. Man, could you imagine that being made into a movie? That would be kind of a cool CGI experience. Dude, right on. Yeah, I was thinking that. And it's like the guy that did it, I think, works at Pixar. It was kind wow, of an offshoot okay. that he wrote for his kids and he illustrated yeah, so it's like, I'll send you a link to it, but it's like, I, I get the feeling when I'm reading it that this was just this guy's kind of hobby on the offshoot. But how many times does that turn into a big thing? From what I understand, Tolkien came up with the Lord of the Rings trilogy because he was tired of there not being good fictional folklore for his kids. So he came up with these stories to read to his kids at bedtime at night. So these things that come out of parents wanting to give that to their children can turn into these magical you know, journeys. Well, look at Tolkien. Look what happened. Look at it now. Man. It's one me? of the yeah. big, I mean, you know, I, I've never seen the Lord of the Rings, never read the books. I recently just watched about six months ago for the first time, watched all the Harry Potters. And I was like, Oh my oh, goodness. Yeah. Why did I wait for so long to watch? Cause those Harry Potters, man, they were good. They were good. Very so now, good. I'm working on Lord of the Rings, but I started one. I started the first one. That thing is three hours and like 48 minutes. And I go, holy shit, that's a four-hour movie. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's wild. And that's the thing about it. It's like, it. it's kind of like Harry Potter. Like, those things are just long and strong. I actually, during my day job in IT, I listened to those audiobooks. And they had really good actors. And it, like, really drew it out. I think it took me all summer to go from book one to six and I was just riveted. It was wonderful. What's the last movie that you watched that you thought was great? You know what, man? I just, okay, with the family this summer, we went to a wedding in Pine, Colorado. That was almost like a Hallmark movie. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, you know, mountains and all this beautiful scenery. So we drove to San Diego and to get home, I use one of those apps where you have to fly and do connectors to get a cheap flight home. So I flew from San Diego to Seattle and then back to Kansas City. And it's two of them. That Kurt Warner movie, I was in a really emotional space. You know that movie about his life? Have you seen that? What's it called? Kurt Warner. It, uh, uh, 
It's the it's it's about his life. It came out last year, but it, it talks about you know kind of being the underdog and and working in a grocery store and getting to a point American Super underdog. Bowl yes, and dude, that really hit me. But I'm also in in my heart of hearts. I'm an indie movie guy, and I watch Licorice Pizza, and yes, I'm a dude. big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. So that those two together were like real yin and yangs. But it was like. The flight from San Diego to Seattle was the Kurt Warner film, and the flight from uh, Seattle to Kansas City was Licorice Pizza. So those two were like the last two that like really like tugged at my innards, and it was it was wonderful. Dude, I recently just watched Licorice Pizza as well, and that you know I wasn't gonna watch it because like Licorice Pizza, what what am uh-huh. I what? And then I, I was like, okay, Pete was getting really good reviews. It's got great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm gonna watch it. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, holy crap. Like you're watching, and you're like, this, this is fantastic. It's a wonderful. It's about a what is it, 16, 17 year old high school student who falls in love with a 22, 23 uh-huh. year old girl. And she yeah. she is in love with him too, but is scared to admit it. And it's it's just this uh-huh. journey of growing up, and it's like, yeah. wow, that's it's it's fair. It, yeah, it, that took me so, by 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 shock and surprise as well. How good licorice pizza was. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, and, and um, Paul Thomas Anderson, he did Magnolia, which is wonderful. And yeah. they're all the same thing. They're really dry, deep, well acted biopics almost. And yeah, so yeah, dude, it was that was great, great film. Speaking of biopics, I have to ask everybody this because it's my favorite movie of the year. Have you seen Elvis yet? Oh, I want to. I, I totally, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that because I remember, I, I always remember this when I walk into a donut shop. They made a movie about him meeting Nixon. Did you yes. ever see that? Yes, with, uh, all right. Oh, oh, what's his name? <laughs> oh, my God. The, uh, Michael Shannon played Elvis Presley yeah, in this movie. Yeah. Michael Shannon. That's yeah. it. And I love that. I love the whole history. No one really knows the history of it. Yeah. But I remember when he, they talked about him going in and getting that donut and cutting it like a steak. <laughs> I always remember that. The, you know, because yeah. he always wanted a maple log. A maple, right? And yeah. there, there is a donut shop about forty miles away, and I just stopped at it one morning, and I went in there and they had a maple bacon donut, and they called it the Elvis. And oh I said, wow! And I said, "Oh yeah. shit, I have to get it because that is the Amen. most. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> oh, dude, don't even. I, no, yeah, I don't do maple. I, my wife likes them, but yeah, there's a place here and and locally that puts bacon on it. I'm like, no, dude, that's. It was, uh-huh, I'm out. It was disgusting. But no, man, about the Elvis. Check it out. You mentioned about. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned about you know the Michael Shannon, the Elvis and Nixon thing. I've seen all those, and I and I always think the guys that play Elvis have been casted pretty well. I'm like, oh, Kurt Russell was great in the in the 70s. You know, Michael Shannon was okay. And then I was watching Elvis. I got a – and here's the cool thing. I talked about Elvis the whole time on, on the podcast. I was like, I can't wait to sit. I got a special screening the night before it come out. So I go to the theater, and I get popcorn and a drink, and they got the big screen up, and they show interviews that they filmed past recently before the movie started. And I'm watching it. And I swear to you, Joe, I swear to you, it was not like I was watching Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. I was watching Elvis and Tom Parker coerce. And it totally. was like, a, I mean, it was, it's amazing how well it's done. 
Like I, I think I yeah. over, I think I overhyped it for a lot of people because I thought it was phenomenal. But what people don't realize is, and Joe, I'm going to give you a little discretion here. If you don't know the story, the personal life of Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker, I suggest people that want to watch it research that before they watch this movie, because I think that takes right. away from the life of Elvis. The movie is not Elvis's life from childhood to death it is in certain parts of the movie but the story is he had a manager that stole a bunch of money overworked him screwed him over and that's the story they're telling so that's one when people go tom hanks was terrible in this movie well you've never seen tom hanks play a villain before and this he plays right a historic villain that was that was known to do this so yeah man elvis I'm going to babble about it all day, but Elvis is, I've seen it six, seven times this year. It's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. I'm going to watch it. You know, it's interesting. I went to Graceland probably in 2017. We were coming back from Florida. It was when I saw the boiled peanuts for the first time and we're coming through right. Memphis and we get up there <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you get in front of the house and you're like, dude, this is Elvis. And it looks like just a big house. You know, it's like, it doesn't look like this big, huge sprawling, um, fantasy land but i remember when i left i went the rabbit hole like you talked about like when you read a book like about michael jackson you get into that rabbit hole and you just start reading and getting into all these different side tributaries and i remember i was like something came across about like an elvis like elvis is still alive and people will see him in crowds in front of graceland and they yes. showed some pictures and it looked some of them kind of looked like it and i know it's hokey but it's like, those are the things that are rabbit hole worthy. That's the reason why the internet's there. You start thinking, hmm. And then the people that are like, yeah, I saw Jim Morrison at the grave in Paris. It's like, hmm, you know, what would he look like at this age? You know, so it's, you it's know, weird how all of that happens. I, those are conspiracy theories. And I, I like them. I don't indulge in them because I do think it's like brain killing. <laughs> but I also, yeah. I, I look at them and I'm like, you there's some that you just like you can't not think that like and Elvis for, right. a, for a long time man and we're winding down here uh get you off here but for yeah. a long time long time I believed Elvis did not die in 77 but then I started doing I, but then I started doing my own research and I was like the main thing is you cannot go upstairs in Graceland why do they have that one place blocked off but then once you start uh -huh. researching you start reading you realize no one ever went upstairs unless Elvis asked them personally. So as a way to commemorate Elvis, you're like, ah, I get it. You're not going upstairs because he's never asked you to go upstairs. Like that was their thing, keeping gotcha. your spirit alive. But no, I mean, th there are some that I'm like, that does look uh, that does look a little like Elvis. That does sound like Elvis. But then it's like, how many of these um, uh, impersonators do we have that sound and look like Elvis? You know, so it's like, you don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I had a good time looking into it because there were some pictures where it's like, it looks like them, but it's just, it's like, it's the conspiracy thing. It's the reason why the internet can be a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I will, I the will, way it is. I will send you a link to a video if I can find it. They deleted it from, from like video view of the internet. And it's this video of a supposedly Michael Jackson being taken from his house in a coroner's van, a coroner's van. You can see it clearly. A guy followed yeah. it secretly with a camera, and he pointed it to the wherever wherever the station was at, and out hops this man, 
that looks, walks, says something, just like Michael Jackson, the night he died, they pull him into the to the building and he's never seen again. And I'm like, wow, whoa. Now after reading, I'm like, this could be a guy that could fake his death. He had the money to do it. He 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 hated his he didn't hate his life. He loved his children, but he just he hated the 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 predicament he was in. It's it's wild when you watch it. It's crazy. It it's plausible. There was a guy I worked with years ago that was trying to tell me this very very underground theory that Tom Petty died right before the big album, their first album released. And they had a guy that was a body double, and he actually became Tom Petty. But it's so <laughs> fanatical. And you do, you can only do that, laugh. Be like, well, who cares then? I mean, if it was actually that, I think they said he OD'd or something like that. But it's like, if this body double was actually P- Tom Petty and did all of this, he was either really good like Tom Petty or he had a great lip-syncing Millie Vanilli machine. And good for him, but like, how weird it is where people come up with those fanatical theories and same try to th- push it. But same thing, I with, get... <laughs> same thing with Paul McCartney and the Beatles. He died in that car wreck yeah. before, um, uh-huh. and, and all the all the albums. And I got into that big, I got into that big wormhole as well. He's like, well, they do look like they're looking down at a casket. Why is Paul McCartney? Why does he not have shoes on on Abbey Road? You know, but then, but then you realize. You're just as crazy as those people are to think that. Like if and if they are, then guess what? That dude did a damn good job. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And good for him. <laughs> good for him. Uh, well, man, Joe, I pre- we've been on here 45 minutes, almost an hour. I appreciate your time coming on here and really just shooting the bull, which I don't really do that anymore, but I think with certain people I can because like yeah. you, you you host a show, you you, you can hold a conversation. And I think I think that's yeah. holding a conversation is dead nowadays. So I just go the old general route of asking questions. But man, I've taken forty five minutes of your time. Take as much time as you need to promote and put out anything you want anybody to know. Oh, I would just say more than anything else, I really respect and admire what you're doing. Um, I, I I would totally say what you're doing and how you're doing it. Everybody out there needs to really tune in as far as what I'm doing. It was a joy to interview you. And I have kind of a dual thing with neon jazz radio. So you can Google it and it's on iTunes. It's I got a YouTube channel and then I have a component called famous interviews where I kind of branch out to other people. But at the end of the day, anybody that's out there that's listening to it, Dylan's the man. It's it's been wonderful to be a part of this. I really genuinely appreciate you. You were probably the first person. Um, I've had some people here and there over time, but we we did some firsts here. So I think this is wonderful that we hooked up, and I appreciate you asking me to be on. Yeah, man. And this is not going to be the last time you're going to be on. We're going to have you on uh, in the near future. We're going to talk about some other stuff. But I I appreciate your time coming on here, brother. Absolutely. And you know what we're going to do next time. We're going to have some boiled peanuts together. We're going to have some. <laughs> okay, for those that want to know, up, man. for those that want to know, before we get off here, for those that want to know about boiled peanuts, if you're not in the South, boiled peanuts is a thing. You get green peanuts from a field. People you can buy them at the grocery. You can buy them at Walmart here, and you boil them with, uh, with like, Zatarans and all that. And Joe is from not the South. And so he was driving through the South, saw boiled peanuts, and tried them. 
And that whole story and more is on Famous Interviews, my episode that we did together. And that's I, – I found it funny yes, because sir. I, like, I had literally the day before saw TikTok people trying boiled peanuts, and it was a whirlwind full circle thing. But, yeah, guys, <laughs> go check out Famous Interviews. Absolutely. Go to me. Now, all that links and the Instagram stuff will be in the episode notes of the podcast. But, Joe, have a good one, man. Thanks, Thanks for coming back on here. Yeah, dude, send my best to Mississippi, and until next time, my friend, take care. All right, brother. See you later. Cheers. Bye-bye.